Welcome to the Cap Gemini America's Corporate Social Responsibility Podcast. My name is Janet Pope, and I'm the Vice President of Corporate Social Responsibility for the U.S., Canada, and Latin America. I look forward to engaging with each of you on diversity, digital inclusion, and sustainability challenges and initiatives. Let's get the future we want together. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Capgemini Women in Digital podcast. This podcast is led by Women at Capgemini Employee Resource Group, whose mission is to cultivate and sustain a culture where women can thrive at Capgemini. The Women in Digital podcast is an informative, enlightening, entertaining, and open forum intended to challenge the norm and embrace women as leaders. It offers a chance to connect with our audience, build valuable connections, and explore meaningful topics that affect women. I'm Christine Stack. I am an executive recruiter in Capgemini's executive talent acquisition practice aligned with Capgemini Invent North America. And I am very excited to introduce our guest from one of Capgemini's most revered and respected clients, Subway. Today, I'll be chatting with Deb Mitchko McCall, the Director of Marketing, Windows, and Digital Content Technology at Subway. Throughout her 20-plus year career, Deb has delivered value using technology, Six Sigma, and project management to firms and clients at incredible organizations, including Starwood Hotels, UBS, and Costco Wholesale. She is a certified project manager and trainer with a passion for professional development. In fact, she created a professional development workshop, which covers presentation skills, professional skills, career development, and she uses this to train her staff and others within each firm she joins. So it only makes sense that today Deb will be speaking to the topics of growing your career and becoming a change agent. We hope you enjoy this conversation and learn from it, and that most of all, it inspires you to get the future you want. Deb, welcome, and thank you for spending time with us today. Thank you, Christine. I really appreciate the invitation and opportunity to talk to everybody. So this is my first podcast, so we hope we have some fun along the way. Yes, it's our maiden voyage, too. So we're getting our feet wet together, my friend. So let's jump right in the pool. You launched your career in catering for Aramark and have propelled yourself forward in a number of interesting, inspiring, and successful ways ever since. Please tell us about your journey. Sure. Um, First, you know, I was a hotel restaurant major in college at University of New Haven and studied cooking in Switzerland. But I've always been an organized individual. My spices are alphabetized in my home to give you a sense (laughs) of how organized I am, though I do have one junk drawer. I've been in hospitality. I've been in retail, legal, financial services, manufacturing, restaurant management. But if we take it back even earlier, I started out in a deli when I was 17. And I think it's really funny now that I'm working for Subway, still selling sandwiches here at this point in my career. So it's full circle. But, you know, as a catering manager, you had to be organized and you had to know a menu. And so I didn't think twice about it because I was a 
a restaurant major. And so that was the progression I was supposed to have. I was working at NYU through Aramark and I organized 35,000 people to eat in one day on graduation. And I would run the freshman barbecue, which was 1,500 people that they had to eat in 90 minutes, basically. So there was a lot of different pieces and it was a lot of fun. And then I got laid off. First, you know, it was NYU, Stony Brook University, and you get laid off. When I really ponder that, I made a mistake. I thought I was okay. But when it came time to cutting somebody, I was the one that got cut. And that kind of stayed with me about always being right, which I'll get to in a little bit. I ran a restaurant for a family friend. I had worked for Costco in college and I went back to them. I was a marketing manager. That was a lot of fun. We opened Costco's across the East Coast. It was long days, but we had a fun team and we worked really hard. And those people made a difference. And that I realized how important that is in my life now. And then I decided I wanted to get into a professional environment working Monday through Friday versus working weekends. At the time, Microsoft Office was coming out. So, yes, I'm that old that there was no Microsoft in college for me. Uh, Must be really tough. There were no cell phones either. So from Microsoft Office, I took classes. I became an administrative assistant. I stayed on that path for about six, seven years at a couple of different firms until I came to UBS Investment Bank. And Perot Systems was at UBS. And so we were the tech people for UBS. And then the account went and pulled everybody in from technology in, and we all became UBS employees. I started as the regional CIO's assistant, and then I moved into tech communications, and then I was doing training and development, HR work. Then I got into project management, again, still staying within the tech area. From there, I spent most of my career in project management. As you said, I'm a certified PMP. I take pride in in that. And also my superpower is estimations, which is something that, you know, a lot of PMs don't do well in and that I really pride myself in that. From the tech side, I wanted to learn more about the business. So I moved to operations and I was working in business management and process excellence. So all the Six Sigma stuff. And I really enjoyed all that work. The company was moving down south. Again, I got laid off. So there are ups and downs that everyone's going to have in their career. I never thought that that would happen to me in my career ever. And maybe my ego got in the way there. I took my package. I slept for 12, 14 hours a day for about two weeks. I didn't realize (laughs) I was so burnt out until I stopped. And I was married about three years at that point. And my husband said, take the summer off. I'd gotten laid off. It was basically June. He said, take the summer off figure out what you want to do. And I did that. I visited family that runs an alpaca ranch out in Missouri. And there's nothing so humbling as having to do barn chores with animals to reset yourself and take your ego down a notch. You know, you're not the big executive when, you know, the animals are telling you what to do. So I came back refreshed and I had to get ready to write my resume which I had not done in 14 years, which I will say to everyone, do it annually. You should look at how you would sell yourself today versus a year ago. I started interviewing and I clicked with Starwood Hotels and with the manager there. And Tim Simons was a great manager for me 
because he was a calming force for me coming out of financial services, which was a really doggy dog environment. It was do or die. And I didn't realize how tough I was until I had a sit down with him. And he was like, you don't always need to do it at that tone. You don't always need to be the right person. And it was very interesting because I can now look back on that. But those were really tough conversations. And I was really lucky to have him as that first manager coming out of financial services. I had about two years there. I left when Marriott was buying them. I went to a printing company Then I worked for a small consulting firm that placed me at a larger client. And then I was not happy. And then I went and I found myself at Subway. And I started as a senior program manager for marketing windows for North America. And then a year later, I took over more responsibilities when my boss left the firm. And then I was promoted to director in June 2022. So I've got almost two and a half years with the company. I have five direct reports and I have about 20 outsourced Capgemini staff on my multiple teams. So I am super dependent on the quality of people that work for me. And Capgemini is a big part of that. And I'm very blessed to have that. I did a timeline of my career about 10 years ago. And it really was interesting to see the ups and downs and my plateaus. And I can now think about my strategic decision making going forward because I'm able to kind of have that look back. That is spectacular. It's fascinating. It's also a perfect segue to the next question. So thank you so much. Um, But wait, I want to throw in a bonus question here. Best and worst barn chore. Oh, gosh. Uh, Worst barn chore is being on the front of the tractor, driving the first time out in a week because you have to kind of go around the entire property. It was 160 acres, I believe. And uh, every spider web hitting you because you're going along the edge and and so probably a thousand spider webs going through. And then best was probably feeding some treats to uh, the alpacas and getting a kiss on the cheek from one of them. They're very gentle animals unless you get too close to the babies. So, but you know, I didn't mind shoveling. It evened me out. It was the same thing. At one point I, I was a housekeeper. There's nothing like leveling out your expectations in life when you have to clean somebody else's toilet. So humility is a virtue. Yes, Yes, it is. Clearly, your career journey has been one of change and reinvention. Ironically, it's very similar to the concept of the subway refresh. What do you consider the biggest turning point of your career to be or the biggest refresh decision you've made and why? I believe that it was my moment where I I understood that I could start to combine both the leader I wanted to work with, not Mm -hmm. just work for, and the company I wanted to work with versus just going to a company because a recruiter said, hey, you can make more money. And I think that was making that understanding and that connection that I want to be working for someone that I respect and I enjoy and I can laugh with. And that was really important for me. I interviewed with a firm about six, eight years ago. The company was interesting. 
but I didn't want to join that leader. And so I said no to that opportunity. And Mm -hmm. it was the best thing for me. You're going to be with them eight hours a day. And you need to really understand that aspect. I'm a strong personality. Anybody that's ever known me, worked for me, been trained by me, which there's a thousand people that went through the Mitch Go Boot Camp course of my career. No, I'm a strong personality. I worked for a female leader that questioned everything I was doing, that I wasn't doing enough. And I always met or just achieved the goals weekly for the team that I was given. And her attitude was like, well, you could do more. You could do so much more. And I'm like, you're not giving me more money. You're not giving me resources. So I I don't see how this equates, especially being a project manager. And I would walk out of her office and I would go home crying every night because she was so negative and she never said thank you. And I took that abuse for about six weeks and I started looking for another job. It took me six months to leave that firm and find the right company to work for. One, I was like, I'm going to work harder. I'm going to figure it out. And it was kind of like, do you realize that you come out of those meetings and it was never good enough? And it's interesting because years later now, I'm so happy I left when I did. So you have to be selfish for yourself and understand that it's okay to make that decision if you're not being appreciated. I'm lucky enough that I've built a good network, that I've been able to call upon people. And the last two jobs that I took were due to my network connections that I kind of put it out there and said, hey, I'm looking. Do you have anything? Do you know anybody? So keep up those network connections, write to people in LinkedIn, and just don't ask, but give to people. Find an article, send it along to them. And that way you're also giving to someone, not just taking. Right. And you know what? I'll add one thing, if you don't mind. You had mentioned, you know, being selfish. I actually respectfully disagree. I don't think there's anything in being selfish about making that sort of a decision. Your self-worth is is paramount. So so having self-worth, not being selfish. Okay, so I'm going to throw some data at you. According to Women Tech, In 2022, women only held about 25% of the leadership positions in tech. Only 37% of tech startups have one or more women on their boards of directors. And while some definite progress has been made over the past five years, gender equality is still being worked on in the tech industry and especially in the C-suite. So clearly we love to have some inspiration from you on this one some reassurance to our audience that we're on a positive trajectory in this gender equality sense so is there a woman in the tech field who's been a role model to you and why there's two main people that have been role models for me and one's a man and one's a woman and i I always go back to both of them in my career But I will say that I take pieces of leaders and peers that I want to emulate, and then there's pieces that I don't want to emulate. As I describe that leader, I realize I want to be thanked, so my team probably wants to be thanked. So I try to incorporate that into my daily life. I don't know that I always do it well, but I certainly try to do that. And so when I think about some of the best early advice and people kind of watching out for me. 
Peter Mulberry, who was the regional CIO and I was his admin, he had a great influence upon me. It was the first time I worked with someone that was from a foreign country. He's from England. I didn't know how to dial internationally, you know, because if you only work U.S. jobs, you, you don't know how to do those, you know, nine zero one one. He was very gracious. But I remember walking into his office one time and I wanted to complain about something. And he said to me, don't come in my office with a problem. Come to my office with a problem and 10 solutions and your recommendation or don't come in at all. And so that was really important for me to go, oh, I, I don't just get to complain to you. That That's not your job. My job is to make it better and to tell you we have a problem and I, I think I can solve it. So he recognized I had potential and he gave me opportunities to move around within the tech area. I know that he was one of those people that made that happen. And so that I really appreciate that time. And then Martha Poulter was another CIO at Starwood Hotels that had great influence on me. And she was the first senior leader that I liked as a person, respected as a leader, and I wanted to help her achieve the goals. And I think that trifecta for me was very important. There would be people that, oh, I like this person, they're funny, um, or maybe I respected them because they were in a certain level in the organization. And I wanted to always help my peers or my my manager. But having that all at the same time with one person that she wanted to make a difference. She wanted to take the company. She had a vision to change the way we were working. And she wanted to take us from waterfall to agile. And this was a very specific time in the company. And I had the opportunity to help do that. I helped with that transformation. I trained 500 people in 40 teams. And she also made me a better presenter at the C-level. She'd be like, okay, well, why are we solving for that? What is the problem statement? Where are we going? What's the revenue? What's our ROI? And so that really made a difference for me. So there was that real early career and that mid-career influence that I had. Right now, I am looking towards my peers to be the people that are the role models. And I realize in my role at Subway that I am the role model now. And I have to take that into consideration. It's not just like, let's have a good time. No, I need to strategically think about what we need to do and move the company forward as well as have a good time. I'm the manager that hosts the virtual happy hours. So. All right. Well, I'll wait for the invite on that one. You know, you're speaking of yourself as a leader. So share with us a time that you as a leader in your field paved a way for yourself and other women to thrive. So there's been a couple of things that I've done. One is I've been an active member of every woman-based employee group at the company. And it's not just joining the group, but it's being an active participant, whether I volunteered and I didn't care if I was signing someone in or if I was cleaning up or if I was the speaker. It didn't matter. It was that they needed people to make it happen. So I've done that. I've been a mentor many times over throughout my career, which I think gives that personal aspect of helping people for a reason, a season, a lifetime. And that's one piece there. 
you know, when I created the Mitchco boot camp back in 2007, it was because I wanted to go on vacation for two weeks and I had to break up my work. I had intern working for me and I was like, they need to help out. And then it became an entire class. It started out as I want to go on vacation and I want to take two weeks off, which was required to now a thousand people went through that class at UBS. And it was very interesting because these individuals that came in would speak four languages, be a double major economics and microeconomics and international business, but they didn't know how to book a conference room. They didn't know how to use Outlook. They didn't know how to book a meeting and put an agenda. So that was the piece. They didn't understand how to start building their network, what their career path might look like. And so that was the piece that I was able to kind of give them some base knowledge. And there was probably about 50 topics that I covered in a day. Um, Along with the Mitchco Bootcamp, I was also very involved with Year Up and Empower, which are two organizations in New York City that would take urban youth that had some high school education, their GED or some college, and then train them to work in corporate America. And then they would get internships. I was one of the people that would take on people to work within my department. And it was about being on time, getting the work done, and also going to school. So they worked part-time for us and they went to school part-time to continue their education. And it was really wonderful because not only did I do it on the tech side, I was able to go and bring it over onto the operations side. And I had one individual that she worked for me for about two plus years and she went and graduated. And when she graduated, I gave her a uh, coach passport holder. And she said, I I don't have a passport. I go, that's my point. You need to get a passport and you need to travel the world because I see great things in your future. And it was really great to see that happen. I think that people find me and ask advice from me. And I think that that from that one-on-one, I I just posted on LinkedIn this week as I'm going through this leadership journey. I asked about my mindful and my mindless impact on the world and others. And did I give you a helping hand or was I selfish at that point in time? And I know I was both. And so now as I start to go forward in my career, how do I give more of a helping hand always? There's a point where I'll be selfish about the time that I work. And the time that I need with my family and my husband. But during the day, can I help you? Can I give advice? Can I be mindful of the impact I'm having within the department? And this this is a very, very near realization for me. And part of it is these books and this leadership training that I'm taking right now. So thank you so much for sharing all of that. It's incredibly inspiring and impressive. And you to take it one step further, I think that the concept of pulling others with you is so underrated when people do it. And, and when you have that realization, because I think as women, you know, we're put out there and oh, work so hard and climb up that ladder and learn different things and project manage this and be organized and run that. You lose sight of the fact that pulling others with you really reinforces your own self-worth as well as theirs and pulling others with you is just an absolute art and I wish that a lot of leaders would do it more I think it's really inspiring it's about pulling the right people with you 
I am a tough grader of myself. I'm a tough grader of my team. Anybody that's ever worked for me knows that. It has to be that it's the right person in the right position that will get the job done and move the entire team forward. Do I have more women on my team? Yes. Do I have a nice cross-section of diversity? Yes. Did that happen because of my interviewing? No, because I'm not the only one interviewing. It has to do with if you have the skill set to begin with. If you don't have the skill set, you're not working for me. I'll give you certain skills, but there's some base knowledge or something that I can build upon from there. And that's really important. When I do have an opportunity and that helping hand might not be that you're working for me, but it might be the helping hand of me suggesting that someone be recognized or that someone doesn't steal the work of someone else, which has happened to me in the past. I had someone steal 17 pages of a document and put their name on it. And I came back from being sick and read this document and noticed my name wasn't anywhere in the document. It's really easy to look up Mitchko, you know, and (laughs) I reported the individual and I said, I'm sorry, but this is not fair. I should get credit to get 17 pages and technology to be summarized was hundreds and hundreds of hours. So I'm very aware of that, of Mm -hmm. giving credit where credit is due and not taking credit. My name doesn't always need to be on that document. I just did a presentation. It was three of us. Three of our names are on there. It's not just the senior person or it's not just me. It's anybody that helps me needs to be on that document and getting that credit. That's really important to me. Okay. Last stat, and I'll throw it at you. 74% of girls desire a career in STEM fields, but the female quit rate in tech is almost twice as high as their male counterparts in the field. So about 50% of women in the tech sector quit their positions before age 35. From a talent perspective, an HR perspective, wow, like that seems to me to be staggering. So once again, love some inspiration from you, a piece of advice that could help positively affect a young woman who might be listening, might be reconsidering her dreams of advancement in this field. So if you could go back to the first day of your career and give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be? So one piece of advice that I would give myself as a as a young person coming into the business world is my way is not the only way to do it. Being a big personality, you need to listen to everyone in the room. You are not always the smartest person in the room. I only learned that about 10 years ago which is really scary to me that I make that statement at this age is that I learned that 10 years ago. But I have to kind of own that, that I need to listen more. I don't always get it right, but I come back to ask more questions now. And the one thing that I realize also is that this is not a destination becoming a leader. It's a journey. And I didn't know that. I thought that becoming a leader was the title. I didn't realize the other aspects of the development and I thought the title was the most important thing and it's not. It is about leading and helping and inspiring and being the role model as well as having the business acumen and making the money for the company and moving the goal post and achieving. 
But I guess the one thing when I hear those statistics that it's age 35 that women are dropping out, how do they come back in? Because they might be leaving for personal reasons. And my mother always has told me, I can have it all, but just not at the same time. Women leave. How do they come back in at 40? And what are you doing as a company and as a leader to bring that individual back? Did someone need to go and take care of an elderly parent for a year or two? Do you help them come back into the workplace? I did a class with an organization in Stanford. It was called I Relaunch. It was women that had been home for like five to 10 years. They didn't know anything about Microsoft Office. They didn't know what was really happening in the workplace. And I was like, okay, I'm going to give you some basic skills of like my everyday life, which then you can practice. And then, and these are questions that I ask in an interview. And hopefully this will help you have that first step. Because if you only know how to use Google Mail and you don't make appointments, you don't know how to use Skype back then and whatnot. If you didn't know how to use any of those, it really was a challenge. And so I think we have to really, as leaders, look at if someone's exiting, is it because they're leaving me as a leader or are they leaving the firm? Are they leaving for personal reasons? They're going to go back for their master's and then come back or they're going to have children. They come back, elderly parent and come back. How do we help them come back in two or five years? And I think that's something that we all need to be looking at overall. Okay, so I have a couple of uh, of fun questions. So at the risk of oversharing, I heard that when you were planning your wedding, you project planned it and you used pivot tables to manage your progress. That is correct. Girl after my own heart, manage my life, please. Okay, so the question comes out of that. If you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be? Would it be the pivot tables? Oh God, <laughs> probably everyone will remember the pivot tables, but I hope <laughs> it's, I hope that it's I kept to my values and that I helped others. You really have to think about that. I don't think I knew what my values were for many years. I think at some point it was always the money. And there's a season that you want the economics. There's a season that you want to have the family life. There is a season for different aspects. So I'm not going to say I'm not going for the money because, you know, everyone wants to get paid and paid well. But the values that I have and when there is a problem in life or that there is a test, I talked about this because this is part of one of the books I'm reading. It talks about, have you ever been Uh, tested in your life with your values. And I was, I was dating someone. He had made a comment at a holiday party at a friend's house and said, oh, is that person Indian? And I said, no, they're Italian and Cuban. I said, but what does it matter? And he goes, well, I I don't like, I don't like Indian people. And I, I was like, oh my God, I walked over to the hostess. I said, I have to leave because I'm about to break up with him. And within an hour, I packed up my stuff out of his house and I broke up with him. I was six months into a relationship with this man, but I broke up with him over one comment that I was like, you are not the person I thought you were. And if we didn't have that interaction, who knows where my life or marriage would have been? You know, my father taught me 
everyone puts their pants on one leg at a time. We're all the same. That is something that was always very important to me in my life. The hostess asked me if I was okay. I said, yeah. I said, but can I stay here tonight? She said, absolutely. I said, because I'm going to need a couple of glasses of wine and I'm going to need to cry on your shoulder later, you know, to mourn, mourn the fact that I didn't know this sooner about this individual. Good for you. And that's exactly, I was hoping that you'd go in that direction with the morning. All right. Last one. Although I really would love to ask you what your favorite deli sandwich is, but we're not going to go in that direction. But what's the one question you wish I'd asked you? How would you would answer? Um, What books am I reading? I think that this is really important that everyone is continuing their education, whether it's podcasts, TED Talks, a book, And I will tell you with this participation in RLF, which is a regional leadership forum, and we're reading 20 books over the next nine months. The website is rlfleadership.com, and you can get the list of books from there. There's two of them that really stood out. And I'll tell you, the first five books, I immediately did the analysis, the pivot table, how many are women, how many are men, what's the percentage, do we have a diverse author list? So immediately I'm analyzing, I haven't even read the book, questioning what I'm reading. (laughs) And I realize I need more patience. I need to understand that there is a process and it doesn't matter if the book is from 1980 or whether the book is from last week, the same theories about people hold true. So one of them is the nibble theory by Kaylee Jameson. And it's about nibbling at people. If you think of everybody as a circle and someone comes along and says, oh, that's an interesting hairdo that you're wearing, Christine. You don't know if that's a compliment or whether that is a dig. And that's a nibble. And it could be, oh, you know, you're leaving early. You already talked to your manager. You got to go pick up the kids, you know, or maybe it's princess day at the office. You might turn around and say, oh, banker's hours. Oh, you're keeping banker's hours. That's a nibble. So those things take nibbles and that makes someone else feel like a smaller circle. And we should be trying to make people feel like a bigger circle and the helping hand. And it was a female author. She was in management consulting in the 1970s, first generation Lebanese American. I, you know, was like, oh my goodness, a woman in the 70s in management consulting that blowing my mind there. You think it's a short read, but it's very in depth and Mm. take the time to read that twice. Discover Your True North by Bill George is amazing. I ate that book up. I wrote down 15 pages of notes. I'm going to buy the exercise book that he has that with all the questions and analyze yourself and dig in and peel back the onion. And it's just a fantastic book. And I wish that everybody reads this book. As a matter of fact, I have two nieces and I buy them books at different times and I will be sending them these two books for them to read. That's what I'm reading right now, along with another 20 books. Well, listen, Deb, thank you so, so much. I know on behalf of all of us, we so appreciate the time you've spent with us, 
the reflections you've shared on your career journey, your insights on becoming a change agent, your humility, all, all these things are invaluable. Did you have a good time? I did. And I really appreciate the opportunity. And I will say that humility is just starting this week. So it wasn't always there. Always time to learn new things. Always time. So um, to all of you out there, thank you for your time as well. We will be back with new guests and compelling conversations over the next months. If there are topics or speakers that are meaningful to you, let us know. We value your feedback as well as your support. So please keep listening, keep engaging, and keep getting the future you want. Looks like we've come to the end of another America's Corporate Social Responsibility podcast. Again, I'm Janet Pope. And on behalf of the entire America's Corporate Social Responsibility team, I'd like to thank you for listening. If you have a topic that you'd like for us to cover related to diversity, digital inclusion or sustainability, please comment in the podcast channel. We'd love to hear from you.